My time is yours. I was the last man standing. And welcome to the Vicious Circle. We are back. And uh, Sid, how you doing? Good. How about you, Rob? Good. We always seem to start that way. But this has been a busy weekend. It has been a lot of fun, too. Yeah? You're kind of getting... Oh, there we go. Kind of getting uh, into this podcasting thing and right. right into the book as well. Like, Barry's been crazy with the book. Yeah, he has been. So, we're going to jump into this episode. And... Uh, we have been building up now. We've gotten to the point where you're getting ready to leave WCW for the first time. Right. Um, just to recap, how did that change come about? Like, what, what initiated the change to, to go to the WWE? Um, what happened, Dusty Rhodes was in the WWF as a wrestler, and he was coming in back to WCW to be the creator, the booker. And so um, he, when he got there, he told me, he says, hey, man, I want to, Sign you. You're going to be my number one guy. I want to sign you. I want you to go to the office. You're going to sign a new contract. You know, made, you know, it was really great to hear all these things. I'm going to put you in movies, the whole nine yard baby, you know, Dusty. You know, remember how he was a very great guy, too. Uh, and I knew this, man, this was like, wow, this is a great time uh, for me coming up. But it also opened up me for the opportunity to talk to Vince McMahon about what he might want to offer. So, um, you know, I called the office. Everybody had the number. And with like two seconds, he was on the phone. He said, man, Sid Vicious. I went, yeah. He goes, what do you want, man? I said, well, I'm, I'm in a situation where I can negotiate a contract and I'm able to talk to other people. And literally, I was picked up at my house in a limo and take it to the airport. And I was in his office like an hour and a half. It was that quick. That's fast. And so, uh, not that fast, you know, in a couple hours. I was there in the back that day before, you know, noon was up. So I went there and he was asked me, he says, you know, he explained the territory. He said, you know, they don't give guaranteed money, you know, and, um, you know, he gave me some ideas what the money was if you were on top. And he just said, Sid, I'm handing you the magic wand. He says, you tell me what you're wanting. I said, man, I want Hogan's spot. I want the top spot. He said, it's yours. He said, but this is, you know, you've got to take it, you know. So I said, um, really? It was a short talk. I do, this is what I want to clear one, one rumor. You know, a lot of people said that I, I think because I left the way I did on my own terms. Um, I think Vince or someone that said Vince said that I thought it was better if I came in as a heel. Meaning the way to make the money there was the baby face because you got all the merchandise and stuff like that. I knew that. But in our business, we're also, and I think I proved it, to be a really good baby face, you need, it always helps to be a heel first. So I saw I mentioned, I said, man, maybe because I was already a heel in WCW. And I was really building a really good head of steam of getting over you know, across the country. I said, maybe should we be thinking maybe bring me in a hill where I'm natural to and then turn me into this baby face thing? And, uh, of course, he said, no, we want you as a baby face. Now, I heard you know, people would come up to me like Brian Knobs and go, man, you were so stupid. You didn't want to be a baby face. I said, it wasn't that I didn't want to be a baby face. I wanted to do it, have some longevity, too. You know, I knew that was longevity. 
So anyway, he promised me that spot. So, you know, I go home and um, I'll never forget Frankie was at karate. I went there to see so my wife was there, Sabrina. So I get there. She goes, man, she goes, since you've been gone, WCW's called and offered me $750,000 a year guaranteed money. And that was big money, you know, guaranteed. And Vince wasn't talking, you know, numbers that big, you know. And so I said, um, well, he said I could make maybe 500000 in one night, you know. And so then the rest, that would be WrestleMania. That there, would was be, that there was that possibility. There was that possibility. You know, but this was seven hundred fifty thousand guaranteed. You know, so I said, "Man, I'm taking that deal. I'm not. I'm not even calling Vince McMahon back." You know, and um, so the next morning I get up, get dressed, and get you know going down to the CNN Center, and I was going to sign that contract. And uh, the phone rang, and I told Sabrina, "I said, don't answer it." And uh, I get out the door to my car. She says, "I did." And she goes, "And it's Vince McMahon. He wants to talk to you." I went, oh shit! So I said, "He said, Sid," and I went, "Yeah." He goes. If you signed that contract, I went, no, Vince, but I'm going to. And I said, thing is this. I didn't want to play the middle fence guy with you, you know, and say, hey, give me more money or something like this because you've already said you don't give guaranteed money. And I didn't, you know, I said, this is uh, just too much money to pass up. You know, he goes, well, this is the deal. If you don't take this one, the, the deal you want, take Hogan's place, this is the only chance you get to get that deal. And I went, wow, you know, so. Really, guys, this is honest God's truth. No exaggeration. I rolled the dice on myself and said, okay, I'm going to do this. Now, knowing that's the true story, all right? Now, still Vince hated me and got mad at me when I left because when I got there, everything changed. Never, nothing came. You no, know, I was supposed to only do TVs and pay-per-views for a year. And then at WrestleMania, they were going to make me the world champion, and I'd do my very first house show. That would have been big business. That would have really worked. But it didn't work like that. He fired the warrior, put me in his place. And I mean, I have no steam coming in. It's just who I was in WCW, you know, and this stupid thing with Hogan with the referee spot. That that really, to them, that was the big shot in the arm. I was, and I know a little bit about the business. I said, shit, that's not helping me at all, man. You know, but that, again, I was thrust into that. Making really good money still, uh, of course, I don't think I was, I don't know, maybe about what I would have made at WCW give or take, but it was just the workload and, and the lies and lies. And and um, I remember, you know, finally at Albany at that Royal Rumble where, you know, they booed Hogan and uh, they had tried to dub it out. You know, Hogan was in the back, you know, screaming at Vince like, you planned this, you planned this to happen to me. And I was thinking, what is going on? I said, you know, first of all, to see a grown man act like that, you know, almost you know, crying like a little woman saying, you know, you plan this, and the deal is, guys, this is this simple. No one planned that. That was happening. It happened to me. I'm sure it happened uh, to everyone in that position. Once you get burned out, you know, they, they turn on you, you know, and, or someone new, and, and that's just the crowd. Um, but so, I, you know, after all the lies and all the things that didn't happen, I just went into Vince's office and said, hey, man, I want to shake your hand. Thank you for the opportunity. I said, but I'm not ready for this place. And I was honest. I wasn't. You know, I was. Yeah. It was a um, whole different world of wrestling than WCW or even the independent territories. You know, it was a real dog eat, eat dog. And, and then, um, of course, you know, when you're there, you have to do that. You have to eat. You know, eat the other dog that eat you. You know. Yeah. So then, back then, like you got the you you did this whole negotiation with them, and you came back because your contract wasn't up yet for WCW. 
what was the locker room like then? Uh, did, did things change once you told everybody you were you were leaving? Or well, I think you know Dusty was a little upset that I was leaving because I you know losing a you know pretty good piece of talent. But really, Dusty was really cool about it. Honestly, uh, I had I think a two week notice or two month notice or something like that. And I, I'll never forget it. it was at the Omni. Uh, Dusty came to me and said, "Man." You want to go home? And I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Go. Don't worry about making these other shows. Go home." You know, so he let me go home early, where I didn't have to put up with all that. Oh, that's good. Okay, yeah. and that actually leads into my next question because I read a couple of things that that they pulled you for the remainder of your contract, and they, then they pulled you. You didn't have. You weren't wrestling anymore for the rest of your contract. But it sounds like you just said, Dusty said, "Go yeah, home." He said, "Just go home." He could tell it was it wasn't no fun. Yeah. You know? You know, I really, I, I regret that. You know, that's probably one of the biggest regrets. I wish I would have stayed there and took the, you know, everybody would have liked to be in that position. You know, Dusty loving you, you know, and going to be pushing you. And, you know, I would have never got a better push in the, in the lifetime than that. But it really, it was like an ego thing. I wanted to see if I could do that. And the deal was, man, I did it. And I, and it was, I was doing a good job at it. It's just, you know, I just wasn't a yes man. You know, for Vince, I couldn't do that. And I told Vince in our first conversation, I said, Vince, I, I'm not a wrestling fan. I'm in this for the business, man. And I said, you're going to find that I'm a little different than the other guys you're dealing with. You know? Yeah. You know, I was always up front about things, you know, maybe too much for him. And I think um, maybe that's one of the things about me him we, we didn't get along is that you could be up front with him, but then as soon as you walked out of the room, he wanted to, you know, fire you or do something bad to you. But I'm not like that. You know, I'm not vindictive. You know, especially... You know, if I think someone could help me, you know, you know, like Barry, if me and Barry was arguing, I'd still call him and ask him for ideas, you know. Even when I was in WCW, matter of fact, working uh, in the booking committee with Ole Anderson, I called Pat all the time for ideas. Really? Yeah, I'd call Pat and tell him, because I was getting, you know, bullshitted sometimes. Like when I was working with, you know, brought in the Harlem Heat, uh, they were saying it was racist because they were strapping white people with a leather strap. So I called Pat and said, man, is that racial? He goes, well, Sid, it could be, but, you know, it's probably a fine line being a Turner television. So, yeah, I call Pat all the time for advice because Pat's a smart guy, you know, and that's Vince's right-hand man. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to ask the guys I think are the smartest, you know. You um, never know where the best ideas come from. No, you never do. That's awesome. So did you change anything uh, from going from WCW to WWE? Was there any kind of change in you as far as, you know, maybe exercising or prepping for WWE? No, um, the only thing different was just, again, the workload. You know, you worked almost every, especially this was a deal. If you, it was like that position. If you wanted to be on top, all the things being on top went with this, you know, meaning on your days off, you worked promoting towns that were three weeks, two months, you know, one day out. You, you were always working, but that was a deal. You had to do it. You know, like I remember sometimes like promoting, getting ready for a big pay-per-view, I'd do a show, say, you know, New York, catch a red eye, I mean, catch, catch a private jet, you know, a Learjet to San Antonio to promote the pay-per-view coming up that time, Survivor Series with me and Sean, and then flying out that afternoon to another show, say in Florida, and then catching a flight out that night to do the same thing, just back in San Antonio, back and forth day to day like that, you know. Holy smokes. But that, again, uh, that happens in WCW, too. But uh, WCW was, and Barry, you know this, it was more like a television company. They didn't care if the house show sold out. No, that wasn't their livelihood. Where WWF had to have people there because that's how they made money, you know. 
at that point, was WCW still acting like a territory, or were they trying to be global? They they were they were global. I mean that I mean turn everything Ted Turner did was global. I mean, he's the one that came up with having using satellites to make the the superstation. And what Sid is saying about the difference in house shows, uh, which is weird that it'd be different from uh, no WWE to, um, to WCW, is house shows were actually contractual obligations with local affiliates. For a local uh, no town or city, a no affiliate, a CBS, NBC, ABC affiliate, carrying one of your syndicated shows, you contracted to have house shows. Which obviously, how do you promote no television so their station gets better ratings so they can charge no higher barter rates for the ads? You have a house show in that town. So you're right. Technically, it didn't matter what it drew. Obviously, you wanted it to draw. You always want to draw well because of, you know, for the momentum. But it's contractually for syndicated television to be in the towns for any, and that's how you actually got, you know, various, you know, uh, affiliates to carry your programming. We're going to be in your town, you know, uh, so which is going to help the local. We're going to promote that we're on your station. So, and they didn't do that. I mean, at, at WWE, they, that, that that as far as you know, they didn't. The only reason they had house shows was to make sure that the syndicated shows that were carried on those towns affiliates. No, WWF had to run shows to make money. That's where they made the money. You know, was selling the tickets and the merchandising. You know, if they had, I mean, they just they 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 didn't have the the wrestling fan like WCW. We were going to get paid if people showed up or not. And WWF, if the fans didn't show, that's how the then they almost went out of business. Right. You know, I'm sure they got some money for. For the TV station, but I remember them always throwing numbers around. Like one point they were getting money, then one point they were actually paying to be on TV, you know, because ratings got so low. So those things, I guess, changed. But no, WWF depended on house shows. Like, well, TVs would be sold out, but we wouldn't get fifty dollars for TV because all the production came out of it. You had, you know, you got net, no, not gross. So when they had to pay a million dollars to put, you know, the lights up and get all the people there. So TV, you didn't get paid on it. I never got my first check for TV. It was like $200. I said, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> I said, dude, I didn't work for $200 a night. But um, that's the way it was. Um, actually, Memphis TV, you worked for free. You didn't get paid anything. Really? Yeah, uh, you because you know, TV would always push for Monday night, you know, make the big show big for the Monday night Coliseum show. And you were on that, and that's how you got paid. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like advertising yeah. to get you the money. Right. Okay. So then when you got brought into the WWE, they came up with this name, right? How did that name come up? or do you, like How much involvement did you have in that creation? With Sid Justice? Yeah. Man, nothing. Um, I remember knocking around and really, this is, again, um, it's like that we talked about the character Oz where... He had a great idea, but didn't know where to go from. Really, where they came up with the color with my costume, which was sort of chartreuse or pink. Um, I just so happened my wife had got me some really hip clothes and these FUBU shirts, and the slacks were black, and the shirt was like a chartreuse pink with really nice color. And I wore that in one of my first meetings in WWF office. And I guess the seamstress saw that, and she made my made a cape and tights that color. Now, and um, then they came up with Sid Justice. I was like, man, I saw that, and I said, no way I'm wearing that color, you know. A cape? Yeah, a cape, man. I'm not kidding. I can't see him in a cape. I swear, yeah. <laughs> and it was, and again, it was just like, man, I said, are these guys even thinking? And that, again, it was just, to me, I, I'm not saying I know a lot about the business, but man, I said, man, these guys aren't thinking. This isn't going the right way. And from again, from day one, it just, it just wasn't coming around. It wasn't fun, you know, um, 
I, I'm kidding. I was I was ready to go back to WCW like the first month. Really? Yeah. It's just again, it was just you know, the, it's just you know, so much politics and so much weird stuff going on. You know. Well, with that, how involved were you in the the rollout? Because you talked about how what was supposed to happen as opposed to what did happen, and you know, the first little bit, you you weren't there. You, the shows weren't televised, and then you came out as you were going to be a ref. Right. How how much involvement did you have in that? Like, how did that happen? Well, what happened there was again, I was supposed to again do TVs and, and pay per views for one year, and then they decided to fire the warrior. So Vince came to me at, at that show and says, "Okay, well." You're the referee tonight. Um, when the match is over, the Warriors going y'all going to come through the curtains. We're going to gimmick your shirt where you can go back out. Hogan's going to rip it off. Y'all going to do the pose down together, and I'm going to fire the Warrior, and you're going to start taking his place tomorrow. And his, and, and, you know, you're going to do his shows for him. That way, have a replacement. You know, I, I said, oh, now here goes my deal right out the window. You know, so I do that and go out there. Now, this again to me. Uh, this is why I get mad when Vince acts like he's mad at me for wanting to go home or, you know, going back to WCW. Again, I'm, I'm not being, nothing's coming true, you know, like I'm supposed to. And this is, again, their idea of the big push. The big push was, I'm going out there to pose with Hogan. That's not a big push. That's not the big shot in the arm. The shot in the arm is letting me grab the guy by the throat and put him through a table. <laughs> you know, that's, just, that's how you get over it, you know. Vince just did not ever, in my opinion ever knew how to get a heel over, or even at this point, I was a baby face. You know, they, they thought the smallest things like that were the greatest things, you know, but again, we just, I just had to go with it. I'm there. You know, I, what can I say? No. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, with that, what were some of the major differences then between the two, like between WCW and WWE? Well, it, again, the workload. And then it was just, again, you no know, WWF was like a, you know, really oh, sad to say, you know, one step, from being back in a tent in a carnival or WCW, you know, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not trying to throw, you know, um, throw stones, but, you know, I never saw drugs in WCW, you know, and not that Vince was giving out drugs, but there were doctors in every locker room, you know, just because they wanted to be in, around the WWF wrestlers, but uh, you didn't have to take them, but they were there. I never saw drugs in WCW. It was always, it was more family oriented deal, you know, just, it was just, it was no pressure. You know, I mean, if you worked hard and did everything you were supposed to do, you know, everything just went the way it's supposed to go. You didn't have to worry about, okay, do I need to pick up the phone and call Vince and say, I saw Barry picking his nose today? You know, I mean, really, it was like that all the time. Like, and I, I was just making an example one time to show how quick you could, you know, how quick and how close they watch, you know, people like me. We were in the LA airport and I made an airplane and, uh, and I knew Jake Roberts was stooging me off because I was riding with him a little bit. And everything I'd say, I'd get a phone call from Vince or Pat going, hey, I heard you said this. I knew it was, you know, Jake, you know, Jake doing it. So I made a little airplane. And behind there was a little Japanese family. I was going behind them going, like I was shooting them down, you know. Two seconds later, I get, hey, Vince wants to talk to you on the phone. I'm going, what? He goes, uh, hey, you can't be acting like you're shooting Japanese people in the airport. You know, I knew that was Jake that did that, you know. So, I mean, I knew the studios. He was the one I always I picked out. Found out real quick, Ted, Ted DiBiase was the big stooge. They actually put him with me to stooge me off. Who didn't know that, you know? But I uh, always messed with the stooges big time. But no, um, it was just, again, it was just, you know, when I went back the second time, I was forced to go there. You know, I didn't have another place to work. Uh, 
no, actually, I quit WCW. They didn't find me. I quit and with that arm deal and um, took the job back with Vince. And then that's when we talked about that. That was the deal whipping post days. Wow. So it's like <coughs> night and day. Big difference, man. Jeez. Um, well, now, was the difference also into the contracts? Because you had mentioned before that Dusty had promised this is what you're getting. Right. And Vince is saying, no, no, you're going to get, you know, if this Vince, happens. And- Vince's contract said he guaranteed you one show a year for the sum of $250. That's it. That was it. And then everything else was if it makes this much, yeah. you get this much. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, in, in sales, you ask any salesperson, they'd rather work on commission you know, than a salary because they figure, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sell so well, I'll make right. a commission. So that's what you said before. You bet on yourself. You bet on yourself. But it's still, it's, it's so onerous you know, to do so. I mean, you can do everything right. It doesn't mean that the, everything else is going to go right. If you're, if you're right. doing everything you need to do in promoting and everyone wants to see you, it doesn't, I mean, there's still a whole lot of other people that have to be you know, rowing the same way. Right. It's sort of like the first time, no, um, and I don't know who, but I really believe I was one of the first people to actually get real guaranteed money for Vince. But as soon as I reached my mark, you know, to get paid more, he pulled me out of main events, and I couldn't get over that guarantee. You know, so he always found a way to even pull you back, even if you had a guarantee, you know. Well, so that's like the old, the pitcher about to reach his bonus if he re- reaches right. X amount of innings, so they shut him down. Shut him down, Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, you know. Which is shooting himself in the foot, too, because now everything else is going down. How did everyone else feel about a, a major event if you're not there, which means they're going to get paid less? Didn't that get a lot of uh, heat sure up to did. Vince? I'm sure it did. That, you know, that's, but again, that, um, that was a crazy place, dude. I mean, we could go on about it, on, which we will later <laughs> on. But, man, it was, um, I don't know. But it was still one of the greatest learning experiences, too. You know, I, I've got to see what I really was, who I was and what I was made of. Um, you know, and that goes back to my, you know, family, which I withstood that beating on that whipping post and came off that whipping post and did a little whipping myself, you know, so and and the thing about the real wrestling fans that know that and saw that were there and saw it happen. So that was all worth it to me. So what was what was your mindset like? Cuz you said you were trepidatious. You you wanted to take Dusty's contract. You ended up signing with Vince. What were you, what were you thinking, you know, the mindset? Man, I, you know, I thought this is a chance for me to, you know, solidify myself as being the top in the business and everything that goes with that, you know. And, you know, two guys, you know, the WWF was so bright looking on TV and was so much more fun, you know, to look at than WCW. And it was, you know, the, the, one of the things I, I could never could have achieved at WCW, and that's be in front of 70 or 80,000 people. You know, that to me was worth it as well. So um, that was, you know, you, you always, like Dusty told me too, God, I wish I would listen to him. He says, you know, baby, you know, the grass always seems a little greener on the other side. He goes, I'm, I got out of there myself, you know. Because he wasn't in a good position. He wasn't going to be the next, you know, next top guy. True. But um, but again, I, I wouldn't have traded it. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'd, I'd do it again. Like you said, it was a regret, but not a bad regret. Right. Just, he, hindsight right i could have lengthened things i could have made things a little better for myself maybe if i would have stayed wcw and waited longer that went there or something you know but you know at the time it was um it, i think it was on downhill skid already you know hogan had, had his run there and so uh again you know it was just it was fun but you know again i wish i'd stayed with dusty 
Gotcha. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to get to a question. All right. My time is yours. And now it's time for another question. We have Stephen from Chicago. What do you got for a question? (laughs) (laughs) I led you in beautifully, Stephen. (laughs) So, um, yeah, question. Um, If you... Would you go to convent? Would you dress up as Lord Humongous and go to a convention as Lord Humongous? That's a good would question. I? Yeah, yeah. Would you? Would you cut like if you were to like go to like a convention where nerds and cos- cosplay and all that stuff? Would you go there as the Lord Humongous? Yeah, I would. I tell you, I really would. That's one character. Believe it or not, guys. That's uh, when I did Lord Humongous. I didn't really know a lot about wrestling. You know, say. I I, the, I I think I did pretty good with the character, but if I could do that character today, it would really be a lot of fun, and it would be fun to go to like those comic cons and uh, those store, Star Wars conventions and stuff like that as Lord Humongous, and that would be fun. Yes, I would do that. Now I'll tell you my weirdest moment as Lord Humongous is um, the owner of the territory. His name was David Woods down in Continental. His father was named Charles Woods. Was who uh, was had been 99% completely burned up in World War II and come back to Dothan, Alabama, and become this multi-multi-billionaire. He's run for uh, governor of um, Alabama a bunch of times. Matter of fact, this guy, David Woods, just ran this last time for governor. We own a bunch of radio and television stations. Well, he just bought the territory, so I was like his big deal. So he made me come into WCOV-TV in Montgomery, Dressed up as Lord Humongous. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, wow. I remember sitting in his big executive office and people would come in. He was introduced me to him. You know, I'm sitting there as Lord Humongous. And um, now this was really weird about it. Not weird. Sort of cool. Now, he was uh, just a, you know, Continental was just a small territory. Now, when I got in WWF and was uh, in my first WrestleMania, we was at the hotel in Indianapolis. And I looked in the lobby and there was David Woods. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, I'll come here to watch your match, man. I was like, okay, cool, you know. Here it is, this, you know, big-time TV station owner because watch me wrestle. But it was pretty cool having him as a boss. And, uh, Rob, you know this. I've talked to you. We've done talked about stories about this for Continental. This is when I didn't know at all about jealousy, you know, where mm-hmm. I didn't know that he liked me and, him and his kids and wife would come bring me fruit every time at Montgomery at television tapings. Um, of course it was just, I was the biggest guy there and he, he wanted to show me off, but the guys hated me for that. That's that first bit of jealousy. Yeah, it really was. And, um, I remember this, we were in Gaddiston, Alabama. It was a building. It was too hot to even, um, stay in the dressing room. I couldn't go outside unless I had my black hood on and it was just hot outside. So, this old guy named Bill Tab called the Black Assassin. We were sitting in the dressing room, and he goes, Sid, you know when you're not in here, those boys talking bad about you. I said, do what? And so they all came back in. Now, here it is. I don't know that I shouldn't react either, right? Mm-hmm. So all the guys come in, you know, uh, Dutch Mantel, Tony Anthony, Wendell Cooley, Tom Pritchard, you know, a bunch more. I can't remember the rest of them. I said, guys, um, I did also know not to throw Bill under the bus. I said, y'all, Bill just told me y'all talking bad about me when I'm not in the dressing room. 
I said, if y'all want to say something, you can say it right now. Because <laughs> they didn't have nothing to say. And Bill's like, thanks, asshole. <laughs> but I didn't know they were mad at me because this guy liked me, you know, the owner. Yeah. It's one of the first so, lessons uh, of wrestling right there. Right. Speaking of Montgomery, uh, do you remember that mini mall that, that used to be really popular down there? Like where that where the commercial, he, the guy actually sang about like, it's just like a mini mall and it got so popular that the song hit iTunes. No. How the hell do we get to the mini mall? <laughs> we took a <laughs> sharp left. <laughs> no, you're right, Stephen. I, um, I went from the uh, Houston Levy Center there, I think it was called Dothan, to the mini mall. Yeah, I remember that. I'll never forget that mini mall, Stephen. Yeah, it's, a, it's just like it's just like a mini mall. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you still haven't moved over there. No, I'm frozen. Well, let's get well, to our next episode. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.